Fear Show is a live broadcast of truth seekers and believers, empowering the evolution of consciousness. Raphael and Celeste will dive deeper than the mainstream media while answering the mind's deeper questions and transforming conversations. They will have unique guest speakers who will share knowledge, tools, and techniques to create coherence in our mind, body, and spirit. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? I know it's evening for you. It is evening for me, yes. Yeah, I'm doing really well. And you? Exceptional. I I always say that, don't I? Exceptional and getting better. You do, and I love it. Well, you know, if, if I'm not getting better, what am I doing? (laughs) <laughs> not a lot absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah. we have we have a great topic unfortunately cat valentine is not feeling well so sending out some well wishes to her yes absolutely and, and celeste is just running around doing her thing so she left it to us to uh, make sure we have a good show and i know anytime that you and i talk it's just an amazing time. I love our connection. I love the fact that we we share a space in this world where we truly lead with our hearts. I know you do for sure. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's the only way that we can do it these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I get and I get to spend my birthday evening with you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is truly. Truly a pleasure. You know, I, I always want to plug your book because I love, love your book. It's it's really incredible when you can take, a, I guess, a person, right? And, and there's so many different point of views or even different ways we can see the world, mm-hmm. right? And if you're a messy human, man. <laughs> then you have it then you have it all but we also want to talk today about ta-da, emotional intelligence which also kind of like t- your book touches so much about that doesn't it well i think that's kind of the cornerstone of of life really where mm. um we are so we're emotional creatures who are living in a physical world. And I think what we've been taught is to prioritise this physical world Mm. and disconnect from that emotions. And I don't know about you, but for me that led me down a really tough path because I was trying to shove all these emotions down and not let them all explode and not feel them, not be attached to them, not be even acknowledging their existence and my life was falling apart and it wasn't really until I started to excavate is probably the best word because I like that word it was was such a big uh, process really and many many years of work to really understand that emotional depth and fluency and intelligence like real true intelligence and I think for so long we have epitomized and prioritized that intellectual intelligence and it's only really been recently that we've gotten to the full totality and grips of what emotional intelligence is how it can be practiced in the world but also have some real leaders 
who are showing what it means in practical existence to be emotionally intelligent, not just in, uh, intellectually intelligent. And then we also have that next step, and I think this is where our generation is so fascinating, mm. is we're bridging that gap between our, our parents' emotional intelligence and our children's spiritual intelligence. And we're trying to get a foot in each world but also be that bridge. Mm. Thank you, Prue. That's very, very sweet. Lots of love to you. I did not know it was your birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, I'm halfway to 90 today. I'm what? 45. So, yeah. Wow. I've done good. You look good for 100. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you are just beautiful. She's absolutely right, Prue. You are beautiful. But, you know, here's the, 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 the beauty of you. We all look at the external beauty, right? Mm -hmm. And that you are. But my gosh, it you are beautiful throughout. And it's because you understand that emotional intelligence that you were just talking about about our parents' emotional intelligence and our children's. Right? Mm. And there's us in the middle, right? Mm. If you will. <laughs> and I think we're waking up to the knowledge that our parents did the best they could. Mm. And they were dealing with trauma in a time that they didn't, A, know it was traumatic. It was just life. They didn't have the tools and resources that we have now. And they just pulled up their bootstraps and got on with it. Mm -hmm. And now in our generation, we were told to pull up our bootstraps and get on with it, but we're kind of like, oh, is that really the best way to do it? And then our kids are now showing us this insanely incredible way of being, of being more connected and in touch. And as much as we see them, you know, on their screens and in different arenas, there is also this incredible intelligence in our youngsters, both in, mm -hmm. well, in all ages, basically from, you know, the ages of 20 down to birth, who are coming in as these incredibly wise, connected spiritual beings. And I know for my children, I could see it from so early on that they were such old, wise souls in such young bodies. I still remember my son must have been oh, maybe about five or six weeks and I was holding him in the middle of the night and please excuse me, this is the realities of live streaming. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'll want to come back in again soon. Apologies for that. No problem. Um, hey, listen, that's part of life, right? <laughs> he, he wants um, he wants mummy most of the time, but daddy just got home, so he needs to mm. go and say hello and then I'll knock on the door and want to come back in. But I think there is this, you know, I remember holding him and just going, he has been here, and this is even before I started this work. Mm. I was like, he's been here so many times before. How can I be put in charge of this child? And I don't mean in charge of in terms of power structures. I mean in charge of as in I've got to keep this kid alive. And, yeah. <laughs> and like I was in that newly overwhelmed parent mode, but I could see in his eyes what an old soul he was. And, and then, you know, with my daughter it was a similar thing and there was almost this blind panic in my face of, these children are so wise and they're going to evolve so far past me. Mm. And how do I 
nourish and nurture that without squashing it. And I think that was really some of those first real light bulbs I had into the greatness that is the life that we're living in terms of being put in in charge as in they were my charges, not in terms of power over, of getting them to this maturity so that they could expand their full potential. And to see those things in children, my mother always said, you know, what you love in children or what you love in adults, you hate in children. And you see it so often, you know. And so trying to be in a place where I would honour that and could honour that and to see the the depths of where they could go has really, I guess, formed the basis of why I did the work and the growth that I've done. Mm. When we do look at children, I mean, it's it's almost a reflection of what we would like or what we sometimes don't even understand, yeah. right? Because it, kids do say the funniest things, right? And they do things that we go, like, wait a minute, how do they know that? Or where did that come from? And when we think about even back to many, many years ago, even our great grandparents, some had zero, zero emotional intelligence, right? And then some had like over a hundred percent. And it's like, how did they get it? How did they come to understand it? And it was just natural for them. There was no studies, really, if you think about emotional intelligence, the way we act with one another, the way we treat people. It just came to people. It was more nurturing. And and from what I've seen, it seems like women, I'm just going to say it, women had that more caring nature right that motherly nature that 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 love that sometimes men believe that i'm wimpy if i show too much emotion right <laughs> it's not tough enough <laughs> balance it's really interesting i think it's just that men and women love in different ways mm. and the more i've understood that archetypal masculine and feminine and i've even before i did the archetypal life coaching I, I was really looking into that balance of masculine and feminine, obviously in the archetypal type way, nothing to do with gender and all right. of that stuff. But it's looking at when we are in the immature version or the wounded version versus the divine version, our behaviour is so different. And a lot of those immature versions of both look very similar. Mm. Men in their caring role are very protective in a very different way than women in their caring role are protective. You know, someone gets between me and my kids and watch out, mama bear's on her way. And, <laughs> okay, and, <it's> coming. <laughs> and I tell you, it's like that. There is this primal rage that that comes from somewhere and you're almost taken aback by it going, holy crap, I never knew I could love anything this much. But I've also seen that, you know, in in my current partner who, who has this incredible energy about him, whereby it is just 
it's almost breathtaking to me to see it in mm. the divine masculine because I've not seen it often in that. Uh. It is this protection of I, or the way he does it and the way I respond to it beautifully is <sighs> I trust that you've got this. Uh. There is this trust in me. I trust you've got this. But I tell you what, if you don't, they'd better watch out. Yeah. And so it's this its this incredible safety of being honoured enough to be trusted in that space to have the strength to and fortitude to deal with my own issues but also knowing that somebody has my back so solidly and securely in a very different type of caring and strength. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's also the way that we look at it. I think a lot of the things that we label as toxic masculinity in the right environment are actually very healthy. That that need for um, physical prowess, for example, the need for flexing a bit of muscle mm. is actually a really important part of the masculine is knowing mm. that physical strength because when we're looking at archetypally, you know, the woman stands in front of the child, the man stands in front of the woman and the child. Now we all have that within us. And I think men who are allowed to explore that aspect of their masculinity in a healthy way is phenomenal. And I was actually speaking to somebody about it only the other day and I said, from the work I've seen from some of the divine masculine coaches out there, I think in some ways it is so much more powerful than some of the feminine embodiment work that I've seen out there. Mm. And I'm probably going to get shot down in flames for saying that, but with this masculine work that I have, have witnessed, there is this encouragement for tapping into that divine masculine but also accessing their emotional bodies and they're bringing the two together. Whereas a lot of people I've seen in clinic whom I've had to balance because of this and also my own work, mm. I found, and I'll talk to my own experience because it's obviously the one I have the most of course, intimate relationship with, but I developed my divine feminine. And what I did in the meantime was suppress my divine masculine because I was doing all this feminine embodiment work and she was like this. When I met her internally, it was like this incredible Wonder Woman Amazonian mm. warrior right. and I always laughed when I got the vision of my inner divine masculine because he looked a bit like Danny DeVito as the penguin he was just short and angry because <laughs> he'd been leading the show for so long and mm. in my feminine embodiment work I basically went shut up you get in the corner we're working with this part Mm. What I needed to do was be able to bring the two together, to right. marry them, to have them work in harmony on a physical, mental and emotional level and a spiritual level to be able to support one another in the true sense of the word. And that's when I saw the changes mm. because I was marrying it, not ignoring one because the other was superior or whatever it is that we're taught out there yeah, yeah. I, I love the the marrying aspect of it because there's that balance that that one brings to the other right because mm. all of a sudden otherwise you're too much of one right mm. uh, think of yeah. yin and yang right too much yang is not good <laughs> yeah. too much yin is not good 
but that's why we look for that balance, right? That that interwining, right? Mm. To, to bring that togetherness, to bring that wholeness. Because when we think about the way we are in the world, even the way we see the world, if there is no balance, it, it doesn't help anyone. Mm. You know, one of the things that I have definitely... Um, in the work that I've done, I've, I got to be honest with you, I think I found my work um, early, early on. And probably when I was in my teens, you know, started in my teens, when I really started to understand me, mm-hmm. and to understand what I was seeing in this world, and, and to to have compassion. Because a lot of times we we expect things from people, but we don't give them the the leeway or we don't give them the space to be. We expect, right? You have to be this way because you are female. You have Mm -hmm. to be this way because you're male. But why are you, why are you acting this way? Uh And we, we don't understand why they're behaving a certain way. But we, because we don't ask the deeper questions, right? We don't allow the unity, if you will, of some people saying, you know what? Maybe at this point in their life, and like you said before, this is the strong part of who they mm-hmm. are. Yeah. But how do we help somebody to marry? Uh, absolutely beautiful question. I think it's really important to understand that all archetypes, the same as almost everything, is on the spectrum. You know, we can have, and again, it's on a spectrum of not just the divinity but also the woundedness that's coming out. So it's a really complex issue just to to work out how to get that marriage happening. I tend to prefer to think of it in terms of rather than balance because if you think about us walking, we're actually never in balance. Mm. If we're moving, we're rarely in balance. It's only when we're sitting or standing still that we're in balance. And even to be fair, when I'm sitting, I'm rarely in balance because I've always got a foot tucked up or a leg crossed over or something. I'm always out of balance. But if we think of it as harmonising, I I tell my clients to think of an orchestra. And if you've got, you know, sharp instruments here and flat instruments here and loud instruments here and soft instruments here, it can just be noise. And so when we tune all those different instruments in a more harmonious way, we get music. And there are many people who say that the silence in music is as important as the notes. So if we think about that, because if you never had silence in music, it's just noise. You need crescendo. You need, I can't remember the word because it's been too long since I played the quiet one. <laughs> anyway, my brain, we'll go with shit music. <laughs> so, you know, we've got the music. <laughs> but, you know, you've, if you've got the crests and the falls and the peaks and the troughs and the silence and the noise and all of those different bits together, you can create these incredible masterpieces. However, if we're just working with one instrument, you're going to have a relatively monotone piece, and I'm not saying it can't be beautiful. Mm. 
it's about working on those different facets of yourself. And I describe things in terms of that masculine and feminine. And yet actually when we pull it all back and pair it back, because as you will know by now, I try and make the most complex things as simple as possible because people are under enough stress, they don't need more stress. So the more I can pair it back and simplify, the more likely they are to put it into practice in their daily lives. And, you know, there are times that I sometimes think I'm way too good at that because I don't have, in general, long-term clients. I like to, you know, teach them to stand on their own two feet. And I do that really, really well, to be honest. Um, So I'm (laughs) always, you know, waiting for that next cycle. But I love doing that as well because then the feedback I get is, oh, my God, those tools you've given me are standing the test of time. So it's double-edged sword. And I wouldn't do anything else, by the way, because I don't want dependency because <laughs> that's my ideal. But when we're looking at it and we're pairing it back, it's having the structure, it's having the riverbank to hold the river and direct it. And then it's developing that emotional bit where you can have the rapids, you can have the eddies, you can have, you know, the bits where it's just slowly moving and sitting in the water for a while. And that it's all working in harmony together. You are making music, not noise or not just silence. There's this, there is the balance and harmony that comes from having you as a finely tuned creature of recognizing when you get activated, when you get triggered and going, that's something for me to look at next. That's something I haven't healed yet. You know, for me, I love those moments when I get activated and triggered because I'm like, okay, that's my next thing to work on and to heal. And then I get the next one. It's like, okay, that's my next bit of work. And then seeing the results of working on those activations and triggers, recognising that those emotional pulls, that emotional activation and visceral feeling that I used to get in my body is different now than, say, a similar experience from two, three years ago, even six months ago, even a month ago. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that has really been what's led to my growth is going, okay, if I get an activation, what have I not healed? What do I need to heal so that I'm not reactive in this situation? I'm responsive. And I go and work with people like Kat or Rachel that you've you've met both of them and other healers that I know to go, okay, what am I not seeing or how do I need to see things differently or whatever it is? And then we work on that and it's like, okay, and then I put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And so it's making sure that you're acknowledging those emotions that are within you, you're recognising the triggers and the activations but you're not being a victim to them. You're not just staying in reactive mode. You're going, okay, this is interesting. This is showing me a new part of myself. How do I make this part sit in, be accepted by and loved by the whole so that it's not creating that same visceral reaction, the same physical reaction? Yeah. And that's the intelligence. That's some deep work. Love it. (laughs) Love it. Love it, love it. Yeah. You know, I, I, what what I'd love for you to do is take a second and I'm going to show us a video of what's going to happen in July. 
which I yeah. know I would love for you to come. But at, during that time, if you can put in the private chat your contact information or your website so people can come and find you and definitely get involved with what you're doing. Because yeah. every time I talk to you, I not only do I walk away inspired to even go deeper into who I am, but also to look at people differently, to understand better, to accept, right? So I'm going to head, go ahead and show us what's happening in July. Here we go. Take a look. Heroes Rising Apex is the highly anticipated business event of the year. This gathering of industry leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, and visionaries promises to be a game-changing experience that will inspire, educate, and provide networking opportunities. Get ready to immerse yourself in a world of innovation, strategy, and collaboration as we embark on an unforgettable journey of learning, growth, and success. Join us in New York on July 14th through the 16th. Go to heroesrisingapex.com for tickets. Are you, Are you coming? Doesn't that excite oh, you? I am manifesting right now so that I can. Good, good. Not only do we want, I know Kat mm. said she's definitely coming. And I know that Prue said that she's coming. We have so many people coming. I have people coming from Argentina, Mexico, Brazil. I have people coming from all over the world. It's going to be a blast. So everybody listening to, to us this morning, take a look at Amanda. Take a look at her website. Look her up. Find out what else she's doing. This is an amazing human being who not only truly understands the emotions that we work with or the emotions that we need to gather. But one of the things that, and I, I loved this book because I'm looking at, and this is so cool, they talk about the self-management strategies, right? And they list 17. I, I'd love to go with a few of them with you. Let's start with number one, right? Yeah. Breathe right. Oh, right. I didn't know I was breathing wrong until I was like nearly 40. Mm. Like, how crazy is that? And, again, it comes down to the way that women are often treated in society and expected to be. Mm. We are expected to be thin and like these pictures that we see out there. So we're always taught to hold our stomach in. We're taught to hold our core together. We're taught to breathe in, you know, don't make yourself any bigger than you have to be. And so I was constantly holding myself in. I didn't realize that when you breathe, your belly isn't supposed to be sucked in as tight as it can be. It can actually move. And I, it was revolutionary for me. I'm mm. like, I've been putting myself in a self-created corset right. for nearly 40 years. Don't make yourself any bigger than you have to be, darling, because big women aren't liked. And being tall 
that was even worse because then I'm tall and I was, you know, and you're expected to be the smallest version of yourself to be the right type of woman. And so it was fascinating to me. It's almost like learning to breathe properly gave me permission to have a belly, to actually see my belly move in and out, to see my body full of air and know that it wasn't wrong, that I was able to do that. And it literally changed my life completely because I started to realise not only the benefits for the body, mind, spirit with the breath, but also that social conditioning that only loved me if I was small enough. Wow. That is so deep. You know, it, it makes me think of the Chinese culture back in the day where you were right. Women were supposed to be small and maybe even not seen. So that's why they bind their feet like, oh, you can't have big feet. You can't. So they, uh, the, the pain that these poor women went through. I'm so happy they're not doing that anymore um, no. because and if they do, they should stop anywhere they're doing it because we need to expand and, and just be who we're meant to be, right? We were beautiful creatures that we need to imagine, imagine a lion, imagine a hippo, imagine a giraffe, imagine a monkey. If they all looked in the mirror and said, oh, wait, I shouldn't look that way. Yeah. Right. So and and they're not holding the, their bellies in. They're not saying, oh, it, how's my butt look? No, none of that. Right. So they're not doing any of that. They're being who they were meant to be. And society has put us in a, in a box, if you will, where we're supposed to only be this way women are supposed to be this way men are supposed to be this way meanwhile that's not how we're built we are built to be who we're supposed to be just so much yes so much yes <laughs> again i spoke to my children about this because obviously they're learning all the different genders and all of this and i said guys you're in your teens mm. how about you have fun you experiment yeah. who you love and like. And maybe if we had less labels, we'd be more together and less separate. So I said, how about you try and avoid putting any labels on yourself mm. until you're old enough? And then when you've been through a few relationships, whomever they may be with, then you go, actually, this is what I like. But what if you still didn't label yourself? Because I find that we're getting so into this labeling that we're putting ourselves into smaller and smaller and smaller boxes mm -hmm. and a lot of those labels are of our own making and yes we want to be recognized for that individual spark of who we are but as we can recognize that we are all one and we're all unique expressions of the one Sorry. the better and so again you know i remember my daughter when she first started school, she was ridiculously bright, still is, crazy bright, kept me on my toes, My <laughs> still does. I was going to say her whole childhood, but she's still doing it. And she, <laughs> I got pulled aside one day. She was in 
like nursery school or something. We hadn't even left the UK, so she was little. Mm-hmm. And she said she basically got pulled up because she was like, oh, every time one of the kids said something, she'd be like, oh, <laughs> I don't understand why they don't get this. And so I had to explain to her, she must have been four well, she can't have even been four yet. She must have been just before her fourth birthday because we were in Australia around that time. And I had to lead her around the garden. I said to her, okay, look at the plants in mummy's garden. Some are flowering and some aren't and some are growing a lot of new shoots right now and some are going into hibernation. And I showed her all the different things. I said, this is like the children in your class. I said, you're one of those who... You just get stuff. And she does. I mean, she was reading books to the class by the time she was four. She was singing full songs at, I think, about 13 months, 14 months. Like, she just had it. She got that whole language thing. And so anyone who didn't get what she got, she just was like, you thick? What's going on? And it was only that childish innocence. It wasn't judgment the way that we know it but when I explained to her about the garden and the way things bloomed and how they all bloom at different times and they all grow at different times and they hibernate at different times it was all of a sudden like she went oh okay I get it and I've had to obviously explain it to her at different points in her development but I found that a really beautiful simple analogy to use of going everybody blooms at different times. I mean, I didn't find this work. I think I was about 32 when I started dipping my toe in the water. Mm. And then by the time I sort of hit 36, I just went on this massively huge trajectory. And it's kind of, I guess, continued since then. But there were so many times that I heard the call and I didn't take it. And so there are times that I, it's not that I beat myself up, but I regret not hearing the call sooner, not acting on the call sooner, Mm. not doing the things that would get me to where I am sooner. And I also know that they are part of what creates who I am now Mm. and the person I am. And I wasn't ready to bloom back then. I wasn't ready to go through that massive growth then. And I've still sometimes reminded my daughter of that. And her empathy now is in incredibly amazing because she understands that not everybody is as high functioning as she is and that it's no like that's just not about them or her or being higher than or lower than or smarter you know everyone has their own intelligence everyone has their own way of shining and so if we look at everybody as that piece of the one all of a sudden we can accept all of that together We can accept the ridiculously bright child who is academically smart as well as the person who is emotionally intelligent or spiritually intelligent or, you know, good with people or funny or whatever it is. And all of a sudden everybody has their place at the table. Mm. You know, when we think about uh, your daughter, let's just take your daughter for a second, right? Your daughter very much uh, reminds me of some people that I have known who didn't understand other people mm-hmm. who, thank God she had you to guide her along. Because what winds up happening, if, let's, let's take your daughter again. If you had not guided her, 
what would she have continued to grow in a way that she would not understand other people and be frustrated with other people because they didn't get it. What's wrong with these guys? <laughs> so, well, and she still goes through it. But, you know, I think the beautiful thing is she brings it to me. Mm. Or she brings it to somewhere that it's safe for her to bring those frustrations to. Oh, yeah. And so it's not wrong for her to be frustrated. It's just how do we mould and guide that frustration mm. so that it's not being directed. And, again, this is the same with emotions. So everybody talks about how, People's emotions are valid and all of that. That is absolutely true. And we also have to get really careful and nuanced in the fact that we're not trying to build this whole generation of narcissists because everybody believes that their emotions are valid and that they have the only valid experience and all of this because I think it is that fine line and it's very very much nuanced and, and about discernment is Yes, everybody's emotions are valid. It's how we process them and how we deal with them. If we are willing to own up to the fact that our emotions, yes, they're valid, they are giving us signs. They are telling us all sorts of things all the time. Yes, I want more of this. No, I don't want more of this. I'm angry because someone, you know, crossed my boundaries or I'm angry because I'm afraid or I'm angry because I'm not feeling loved or I'm feeling sad because or frustrated because nobody gets it, whatever it is understanding that is really important, but then what do I do with that? Mm. Because if I'm vomiting that all over you, then that's not okay. Likewise, if I'm using it to secure my superiority and my ability to have power over somebody, that's not healthy either. No. When I can go, okay, I'm angry with you because you violated my boundary, okay, how do I deal with that? Do I raise my standards and just go, actually, I'm just not going to deal with that and thank you very much, I'm off? Do I put in a boundary where I enforce a, you know, consequence for you crossing that? But how do I deal with that in a way that is loving and also loving to myself above others? And when I say loving to myself above others, I'm not, again, talking about power over. I'm talking about having respect and empathy and care for myself, that I will not allow myself to be put in situations whereby I don't feel safe, where I am being abused. And having that as that powerful bit of knowledge and having those people to work with that can help you understand that internal landscape I mean, I look at it now and I think of the things that used to get me really riled up and angry and it's almost comical because I'm going, all of that was my shit, all of it. Mm. And now it's, okay, if that activates me, why is that activating me? What do I need to heal? What do I need to look at next? What's my next bit of growth? So that in the future when that happens I can respond with grace and empathy and care and compassion and love and not by vomiting my anger back over you because you vomited over me. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think about taking the time, taking the time to breathe, taking the time to understand, so many people, uh, I personally believe that 
the breath work that mm. we can start to do starts with taking control of my emotions through my breath work, understanding, taking that deep breath. Because when we take that deep breath, I always tell people when I help them meditate, when I help them calm themselves down, because the breath does that. It calms you. It's soothing. Because it also, think about the brain, how much the brain has to take this oxygen in. And then it takes it in, and then it disperses it to the places it needs to go to. So one of the things that... Every time I'm helping somebody meditate, I'm like, well, before you even think of umming or anything like that, and that's not necessarily the most important part of meditation, it's what you're doing, right? It's the breath work. It's, it's, you, I can meditate in chaos, right? I could be in, in a crowded place and I could be very meditative and it's because of the work I've done. So I'm teaching people to think of their breath as something that comes in and touches every every aspect of your whole being. So think of a breath coming in. And I say like a bunch of soldiers coming in and they're fixing and they're repairing or workmen or, or engineers. And they come into your brain and they fix every little thing that's wrong. And then they come down your body, your lungs, you know, your ribs, your stomach, everything. So it goes all the way down. And then the breath coming out is they're taking that, they're putting in a satchel that they're taking in all the toxins out of your body. And then people are like, I never thought of it that way. (laughs) Right. Because the breath work, when you truly get into it, and for those people who don't understand anxiety, this is part of, of the work that we have to do with anxiety, with fear. And it's okay to be afraid, right? It's okay. We, we need that, that tactic, if you will, because we need fear is good because it keeps us safe, right? Mm-hmm. If you're walking down a dark alley and you hear sound, you don't go, oh, let me go investigate what that is. Let no. me take a few deep breaths. Yeah. <laughs> no. Let, let me take some, some deep breaths as I run away. <laughs> you have to run. But here's yeah. the thing. Fear is a good thing. And people don't think like, oh, I'm too tough to be afraid. No. Fear is there to keep you alive. Fear is there to emotionally set you off to understand well something it's a trigger it's it's an alarm if you will right it's going to let us know that something is not right let me look into it Mm -hmm. but if we have fear because so sometimes fear could be of the unknown right if if we have a meeting we have to go to that's different than What's around the corner? Am I going to die if I go to the, around the corner? So that's different fear. But it's how do we use that fear to emotionally set ourselves up for that success? How do we breathe 
with that fear? How do we understand the fear that is in front of us? Is it fear that we're putting on ourselves or is it real fear, right? So when we think about the emotions that come with fear, how do we handle them? And I think I think what you say there is really important because it's if we can take those moments to have those couple of big deep breaths, it comes into our body physiologically changes. So if we can breathe deeply, our body goes, oh, I'm not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Phew. Awesome. And it only takes about three or four deep belly breaths to be able to get into that different physiological space. Mm. I remember when I first left my marital home, I knew what time he got off the train and I would feel my body tense. Mm. I would feel the anxiety come in. I would feel the fear. I would often start shaking, physically shaking. I didn't even live in the same house, but I could feel when he was hopping off the train. And even when we're under the same roof and separated, which was a whole other story in itself, I would start shaking around the time he'd hop off the train. Mm. My body was in this really heightened state. And one of the practices I used to use, and it's one that I use for people often, I'd go, okay, take a deep breath. Am I safe right now? Like right in this moment, am I okay? And I'd look around and I'd almost start laughing at times going, there is nothing wrong. This is all in my head. This is all in my head. I'm creating this. Now, when I was under the same roof, it was obviously different because there was that fear there. There was this actual fear of the unknown. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to live to tomorrow? In the other house, it was like, hang on a minute. I am safe. I'm okay. Okay. So do a few more deep deep breaths. Am I okay? And I ask my clients to often do it. Obviously a lot of them have come from trauma backgrounds. And so when they have, it's, can I feel my feet? is one of the questions I get them to ask. Now, why the feet? One is because your feet are always with you unless you've, you know, been in a space. But even if you don't have your feet, you can go to your lowest extremities. They're usually the bits closest to the ground or connecting you to the ground, Mm. allowing you to feel held by Mother Earth, to feel held by something bigger than yourself. When we can feel into that, I then get them to... Focus on the minutiae. Can you feel your toes touching? Can you feel your where your socks are touching your feet? Can you feel where your shoes are touching your feet? Can you feel where there's air? Can, getting them to pinpoint in. And then, okay, now you've felt that. Now you're connected to the ground. Now you're in your body. Are you safe in this moment? And there'll be this, oh, my God, I am. The thing that I hate out there at the moment is this idea of hacking your nervous system and hacking this so that you can do this. And it's like your nervous system will not be able to feel safe unless you actually feel safe and unless energetically you feel safe to be in your body. There is unfortunately no hack. We need to find out what is going to make you feel the safest you can feel within your body, within your relationships, within your life. 
Because if we can get you feeling safe, then you can be more present. And when you are more present, there is naturally less fear because in most of our life, in most of our day-to-day life, we are not in immediate danger of dying. And that is vital for people to remember, especially when they're in trauma or abusive relationships or whatever. Yes, there are times when you're in physical and mortal danger. How can I keep myself safe? That is a really natural human need because we need to live to tomorrow. But for a lot of us who have anxiety, depression, fear coming up, a lot of it is in our head. We are creating it. We are. So how do I get into this present moment? How do I feel into me right now? Can I feel my feet on the floor? Can I actually take a big, deep body breath? Okay, now I'm here, I'm present. Am I in danger? Mm. Well, shit, no, I'm not. Okay, so what are those thoughts that are making me think that I'm in danger? And whether that be financial or relational or transformational or hormonal or whatever it is, physical, mental, emotional, then you can start actually going, okay, I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this. Because in that, when we're present, when we're with it, we can actually dismantle what is it that is creating that fear and making us feel afraid when we're actually quite safe. You know, Amanda, you and I, and I know Kat and and (laughs) Celeste and everyone else we've ever had on the show can probably have like, Hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. And we've only touched upon the breath. I know. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely know that uh, we're going to do many, many more shows together. Uh, and I know that for a fact. And one of the things that is, is always invigorating for me is your energy. The, the, the powerful energy that you bring forth every time that we connect, right? And, and the beauty that you show up with, what you bring, and the fact that you've done this deep work. And, and you talked about earlier that you didn't start breathing correctly until you were about 40, right? Yeah. <laughs> But when we think about the, the deep breath that us as adults don't go through, mm-hmm. the, the time it takes for us to embody who we truly are, it takes too long. It takes way too long for us to leave. If you think of a child, a baby, they breathe right. If you look at them, they giggle, they laugh. They got the best laughs. Why? Because it's belly laughs. Mm. So when was the last time, I'm not saying to you because I know you have them, but to our audience, when was the last time you had a true belly laugh? Something that you just let go and be and enjoy and when you do a deep belly laugh, what are you getting? You're getting a deep, deep 
breath. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you look at a baby laughing, oh my God, it is the best thing ever. Right. So Yeah, no, I love I have think a belly that's laugh. Have one. Have one every day. I do, by the way. Every day I am laughing. I'm cracking up. I'm living because you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This could be our last day. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that I'm I'm, I'm bringing people down, but <laughs> what I, I, I want you to understand is live every day as if it was your last. So have that belly laugh. You know what? Have that that thing that people say you shouldn't do. Uh, and I'm not saying it have every day and have it carefree. Have intention with your life, right? Because we have one life, as far as I know. <laughs> there may be more. But as far as I know, what I have experienced, and sometimes, you know, when people say you get that deja vu, huh, was I here before? Mm. Right, so that's that's a thought for another day, <laughs> another conversation. I would love to dive into that one with you. Yes. No, and I, think, I think it's really important. I think a couple of things in what you were saying, I think the key to both being able to belly laugh and being able to breathe. And all of what we've talked about tonight is presence. If you are in this moment rather than in the moment 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes from now or five weeks or, you know, whatever it is, the more you are present right now, right here, then you can enjoy the moment. You cannot let go into a massive belly laugh unless you're here and appreciating the moment. And that's where babies and children who aren't carrying their past around like all these backpacks of, you know, baggage, that's why they can do it because they're not so laden down. They are freer. And we are so worried about all of the things, past, present, future, all of the rest of it. And if we can bring ourselves to presence all of a sudden it just allows us the freedom to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for today. It's always, always a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So see, even your dog is having fun with us. Hello. Hello, cutie. (laughs) It's like I don't want I don't want you to stop. I want you I want to hear more. But we are going to come back with you. We are um, so happy that you've made it. You've taken the time to join us and and come and inspire us. But do me a favor. We're going to say goodbye to everybody. But I want you to hold on for a second. I want to have a quick chat with you before we go. So let's just say goodbye to our audience. Have an amazing rest of your evening in Australia. And in New York, we're just getting started. It's almost 5.30. So everybody, make sure that you always tune in to us on Tuesdays. Uh, Prue, thank you so much. We do love you, too. I can't wait to meet you in New York, Prue. Uh, you, know, you and Kat are coming down. 
it's going to be a blast. All right, everybody. Thank you again. Have an amazing and exceptional day. Take care, everybody. Did I just put on the wrong thing?